Well, good evening, Red Oak. Y'all doing okay? Yeah? It's, um, see, see, senor. Hey. Um, it's, uh, it's really easy to praise the Lord for Braden. You know, he's pretty awesome, um, and he leads Roy really well. I'm very thankful for him. Um, but you know what, what it's not easy to praise the Lord for? Gnats. Um, and I, it's all I was thinking about as we were um, doing the corporate uh, reading of Scripture together. And it was talking about, like, praising the Lord for all the little beasts and the creepy, crawly things. And, and I was like, am I praising the Lord when I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, so let's, let's go in your Bible, Second Peter <laughs> chapter 2. Second Peter chapter 2. Um, so tonight, I'm going to be honest, this is a really heavy text. Um, it's, uh, it's a text that um, if we weren't read, like studying through the Bible, preaching through the Bible, book by book, verse by verse, I don't think that we would just pick this passage to study through. Um, and so it's a, it's a text that reminds us of the future judgment. Uh, things that we don't like to think about or talk about, um, and so it's really heavy, but, uh, but it's very important for us, and so um, maybe, maybe some of you have, have heard of this guy, but in the, in the 1960s, there was a guy whose name was Frank Abagnale Jr., uh, and from uh, when he was 15 to when he was 20 years old, he successfully conned millions of dollars in fraudulent checks, and, and he had um, deceived people into believing that he was a Pan Am pilot, a doctor, and a lawyer at all different points and times, like, in, in his life. Well, the, the FBI finally caught him, and he served his time guilty as charged, and now um, he actually helps catch frauds. So, like, completely turned around. Uh, you can watch this fascinating true story in the movie Catch Me If You Can, starring Leonardo DiCaprio and Tom Hanks. It's a really, really good movie. It's a, um, it's a true story of a real fake. It's a true story of a real fake. People can seem sincere, but they can be really phony. They, they, they're not always what they seem. Have you ever heard of the phrase, um, they're a, a, um, a wolf in sheepskin? Maybe you've heard of that phrase before. Sheep are harmless, right? But wolves are not. Uh, false teachers are wolves in sheep's clothing. And in our passage tonight, Peter's warning us to be alert uh, to who we listen to, who we follow, because like wolves, false teachers are extremely dangerous and destructive to the church. And we need to answer the question tonight, what is false teaching? And how do we spot it? Because if you don't know what it is, then you, you could likely fall into it. Uh, or follow someone who is a false teacher. And so these false teachers are, are contrasted sharply with the truth of last week's passage when we looked at Peter's eyewitness testimony and the re reliability of God's word. Um, and speaking on the importance of sound doctrine, whenever you hear the word doctrine, think of teaching. When you Sound doctrine, Pastor Raymond Perrin said this, the time when hard and fast lines were drawn between people on the basis of their particular brand of doctrine is past having been replaced by an emphasis on experience. But experience that is not given meaning by truth is of a most dangerous fabric. Did you catch that? That's super important. Experience that is not given meaning by truth is of a most dangerous fabric. How timely is that, not only for the church, but in our current cultural climate? 
Even Peter wasn't willing to just point people to his subjective experience, but to the objective truth of God's word. Perrin goes on to say, only the Almighty has the authority to define doctrine because it originated in his mind. This is, once again, it's not from man, it's, it's from God. And we learned from our passage last week, Jesus' second coming is real. The, we, need, we would do well to pay attention to it, remember that, and pay attention to his word. And the truth of 2 Peter 1, 19-21 is about the contrast with the falsehood that we see in the three verses tonight. And since we're only covering three verses tonight, it should be significantly shorter than last week's message. Maybe, because we only covered six last week. But I can't promise that it's going to be half as short. But we'll see how it goes. Um, but let's pray before we dive into God's word together. Father God, we, um, we come before you now, uh, Lord, humbled. Um, I know that as I um, was reading through this text and I, as I was preparing uh, for this message, I, I have been humbled by it. And, and as I was working over it, you have worked me over. And Lord, I, I pray that um, your word would, would come forth tonight very strongly, very clearly, because we need to hear the warnings. We need to hear the truth that is exposed in this passage tonight. And I pray that you would teach us, Holy Spirit, that you would open up our hearts, that you would rightly um, Correct us where we need correction, Lord, and the, the, the light that pours from your word would shine into our hearts and our minds, and that we would walk away from here better equipped to be faithful disciples in our current culture. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, Second Peter chapter 2, we're only going to be in the first three verses. This is what God's word says. But false prophets also arose among the people just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle. Their destruction is not asleep. So we're going to work through this verse by verse. Let's focus in on verse 1. When Peter says false prophets also arose among the people, he's referring to the Old Testament false prophets, which mirrors the myths that we were debunking in our previous verses in chapter 1. If you recall the last two verses we covered in chapter 1, it talked about how no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. And Peter immediately picks up with that little word, but to create this transition for us. There have always been people spreading lies amongst God's people, even back in the Old Testament and now in the New Testament. And he, Peter says, these false teachers are among you. They were back then, they were among the people, and they're also today among you. These false teachers didn't heed the word of God. They didn't believe in Jesus' powerful second coming. Commentator Thomas Schreiner said, if there's no future coming of the Lord, this is why it's so important to think about Jesus' second coming. If there's no future coming of the Lord, the foundation for ethics vanishes, and the way is opened for a dissolute lifestyle. What's the point? If there's no future coming of Jesus, what's the point? False teachers' disbelief in this led to their disobedience and the dissolving of all biblical morals. Therefore, they didn't live in light of Jesus' second coming, and they cast doubt amongst the people. If you look ahead in, in 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter says this, 
knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. And they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. They're like, hey, he said he was coming back and he hadn't come. I guess he's not coming. Right? Everything's, we're going day by day. We're continuing on as if everything's great. Jesus hadn't come back. I guess he's not coming. So they're casting doubt on his second coming. And they're claiming that life now is just going to continue to go on as it always has. This is not the first time that Peter has heard of false teachers. He's warning us because he himself was warned by Jesus. In Matthew 7, Jesus said, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. This is huge, y'all. Like Jesus is telling us to beware. Like, be on the lookout. Pay attention. And Peter remembered this, obviously, and he's like, hey, I'm going to pass this along. You need to be aware that there's false teachers among you. They come from within the church. They're among you. And he's warning us that they're within, they're around, they're outside, right? So we need to be alert. We need to be aware. All the more reason that we would do well to heed the word, that we would pay attention to it, that we cling to Jesus because false teaching is attractive and it's sneaky, we could easily fall into it. Paul even warned the Ephesians elders of false teachers. Listen to how Paul bookends this passage in Acts chapter 20. He says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Pay attention. Be alert. These false teachers claim to be Christians, but they deny Jesus by their fruit. Jesus said that they would be recognized by their fruits. And I don't know if you picked up on it in the reading, and I hope it's open in front of you. But if you look at our three verses tonight, you can clearly see the fruit that is produced out of the life of a false teacher. The fruit listed in verse 1 is denying Jesus' lordship. The fr fruit listed in verse 2, sensuality and blasphemy. And in verse 3, you have greed, exploitation, and false words. This is how you can spot false teachers. Their fruit is eventually revealed. You can't spot them immediately because they're sly. They're secretive. They're sneaky. They smuggle in destructive heresies, Peter says. Heresy is belief or opinion that contradicts orthodox doctrine. Another way of saying it is that heresy is doctrine that, that twists and distorts the truth. Therefore, it's contradicting scripture. So the false teachers' heresies even go as far as to deny the master. Peter says that the master is a title for Jesus. In the Greek, the title is actually Lord. And so Peter's saying that the Lord bought them. He purchased them. In the Greek, that word is agorazo, which means to buy or to redeem, to purchase. It's used in 1 Corinthians 6, which 
in that context, the Apostle Paul is preaching to the, the he's writing to the believers in Corinth, and he's, he's writing to them and reminding them of Jesus' sexual ethic. Because they lived in a very sex-saturated culture. And, and so Paul says this, flee from sexual immorality or sensuality, what Peter says in in this second chapter. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. Why? For you were bought. There's that word, agarasso. You were bought with a price. That what was the price? Jesus' precious blood. So glorify God with your body. Glorify God in your body. Whatever you do with your body, glorify the Lord, right? So this isn't the first time Peter used the word agorazo to remind people to pursue godliness. If you remember back in 1 Peter chapter 1, he's reminding the people that they're exiles, that they're called to live a holy life. And he was saying, you, you were bought by the Lord Jesus, Remember 17, 18, and 19 in 1 Peter chapter 1 says, Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed, you were redeemed, you were purchased from your futile ways of inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So Jesus purchased us with his blood. We're not our own. We've been bought with a price, right? So we all know this to be true. Like if you buy something in the marketplace, then that's yours. You own it. You're the master of whatever you just bought. And Jesus is, if he is your Lord, if he is your savior, then Jesus is your master because you've been bought. So these false teachers were claiming to be Christians, but they were denying the lordship of Jesus. It's easy to, to just think of false teachers and preachers and, and not think of ourselves when we read this passage. And I was guilty of that at first. I was like, I was like oh, well, this is talking about those false teachers. I don't, have to, I don't have to think about myself. But the reality is that we are all susceptible to sensuality. And it's all around our culture, right? Like, if we give in to the temptations in our culture, then we are denying the master who bought us. If you give in to sex outside of covenant Christian marriage, then you're denying the master who bought you. If you're living in a sexually uh, promiscuous lifestyle, then you're denying the master who bought you. If you're involved with pornography, then you're denying the master who bought you. If you're living in a homosexual lifestyle, then you're denying the master who bought you. We deny the master who bought us when we make sexually immoral choices. And this is a warning, not only for false teachers, but for everyone. They love Jesus as Savior, but deny him as Lord and they don't submit to his authority. You cannot have Jesus as Savior and not as Lord because the denial of him as Lord has consequences. Peter says at the end of verse 1, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. The result of denying Jesus as Lord is personal ruin. It's asking to bring utter destruction on yourself. And the destruction consists of eternal misery in hell. This is not something that's just temporal, right? It is eternal. So God will not be mocked. You will reap what you sow. So these false teachers are, are sly. They won't say outright in front of people that they deny Jesus as Lord, but they'll mix truth with lies when they're teaching people. So it's not easy to perceive. Much like Peter, the Apostle Paul warned Timothy 
of how folks in the church are naturally prone to listen and like false teachers. Why? Because it appeals to our flesh. They say things that we like to hear. Paul says this in 2 Timothy 4, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you must be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. False teachers are usually attractive. They're really sneaky with how they teach. They tell people what their itching ears long to hear. And that's why Peter goes on in verse 2 to say, Many of you, many of them will follow their own sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. We should not be surprised that many people will be led astray. Why? Because Jesus said that the road is narrow. Few travel it. But the road is broad that leads to destruction. Many will follow it. And, and the reality is that the reason this is such a heavy text is because souls are at stake. Like, and we need to not forget that. That heaven and hell hang on whether we follow Jesus in righteousness or whether we follow our sensuality and immorality. It's important for us to remember that just because someone seems to follow Jesus doesn't mean that they're always following Jesus. It doesn't mean that they're a true, sincere follower of Christ. Just because someone quotes scripture doesn't mean that they're a follower of Jesus. I've had a lot of conversations with really smart people who are atheists, who, know, who might have read the Bible more than you, that they knew more scripture than I did, but they didn't submit to Christ. The devil quoted scripture. He didn't submit to Jesus, right? False teachers appeal to our human nature. They appeal to our, our selfish flesh. Another way to spot a false teacher is their lifestyle of sensuality. Since these false teachers refused to submit to Jesus' lordship over their lives, that means that they rejected his moral authority in their life. Sensuality is the opposite of godliness. It's the pursuit of physical pleasure. It usually is referring to sexual pleasure outside of the context of covenant Christian marriage. Sensuality among professing Christians causes the gospel, or the way of truth, as Peter says, to be blasphemed. The word blaspheme means to malign or cause harm because of untruth. It leads people to disbelieve the gospel. It ultimately leads people to eschatological punishment. So one commentator said, Godless conduct among professing Christians will always be followed by damage to gospel credibility in the eyes of the world. How we live our lives is of utmost importance. Because if people see, like, they're like, I don't want to be a Christian it seems like they're all hypocrites. If they really believed what Jesus said, then they would live differently. So I used to uh, coach a high school basketball team in a church league, which is really competitive, probably the most competitive, right? Um, and people take it way too seriously. But um, I would tell the guys that they did not only represent themselves when they put that jersey on and then went out and played, right? They represented the church and everything that the church stood for and everything that the church believed in. And, and so here's a portion of what I would have them sign. I had them sign a, like a covenant before they, they could be on the team. And so a portion of it said this. As a member of the Center Grove High School basketball team, you have a responsibility to develop and exhibit Christian behavior. Wearing a CG jersey means that you're representing Center Grove Baptist Church in everything that we stand for and believe in. 
As Christians, the way we present ourselves to others is of vital importance to the way others perceive Christ. I was trying to get them to realize that when they put that jersey on, when they step foot on the basketball court, they don't stop being a Christian. Right? You never graduate from being a follower of Jesus. Or when you step foot on the field, when you step foot in the office, right? whenever you leave the gathering of the church, you don't stop being a follower of Christ. People are watching you. And just like people were watching them play a basketball game, people are watching you. They're watching your life. They're watching how you live. They're watching the decisions you make. They're watching what you post. They're watching you. I love DC Talk's classic song, Jesus Freaks, because of how it starts. It's amazing. It says, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, but they walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That's what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. It's all about how you live. We need to believe it, but then we need to transform how we live our lives. If you're a follower of Christ, you represent Jesus and the gospel, so let your lifestyle align with what you claim to believe. Jude was a servant of Jesus. He was a brother of James who also wrote about false teachers. In Jude 1, 4, he says this, For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. How similar is that to 2 Peter 2.2, right? So many words, very similar, same message. They were listening to the same Lord. You think the Holy Spirit had anything to do with guiding these guys as they were writing the scriptures? They, they may teach that Jesus is full of grace and forgives sin, these false teachers. They will teach that. But they also teach that because of his grace, we have freedom to live as we want to live. And we can do as we please. But grace doesn't give us a license to sin. The way of truth that Peter is talking about leads to self-denial. Jesus said, take up your cross, deny yourself, follow me as Lord and as Savior. The way of truth pursues godliness, not sensuality. The way of truth means that we would not live as if we are our own authority, but will submit to the authority of God's word and of our Lord. We should flee from sensuality, not because we're trying to gain acceptance by God by doing good things, but because we've already been accepted. One author said, the, the grace of God in Christ frees me from the power of sin over me. Freedom in Jesus is not the liberty to do what I want, but the power to do what I should. His grace empowers us. His grace motivates us to renounce ungodliness. Peter continues in verse 3, listing more fruit from false teachers and their ultimate end. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. False teachers preach for their own gain. They do what they do for their own advantage. Have you noticed from our passage that most of what false teachers want can be summed up in three words? Sex, money, power. That's mainly what they want. That's their motivation, right? Isn't that what Peter is, is showing us? Their destruction, their condemnation that Peter speaks of is as sure as Jesus' second coming. God's not idle. God doesn't take naps. 
He's not unaware. They will get what's coming for them if they don't repent. And what's amazing is that even grace is available for them if they repent. It's simple. Either we deny the flesh, we deny ourselves, or we deny Jesus. If you deny Jesus as Lord, then you deny Jesus as Savior. If you want to live as a self-appointed, autonomous, self-sovereign individual, then you deny the sovereign Lord. The consequences are condemnation and destruction. Now, some might argue that these false teachers, they're, they're claiming to be followers of Jesus. So how can you say that they're false? They profess faith in Christ. Because character and conduct speak louder than confession of faith. Your character and your conduct speak louder than your confession of faith. People can claim faith in Christ, but contradict that claim by living lives of disobedience to the Lord's commands. We posed the question at the beginning, what is false teaching? How do we spot it? And we see the fruits of it. Their pursuit of sex, money, and power stands in stark contrast to that list of those who pursue life of godliness. You remember the latter from 2 Peter chapter 1? Peter gave us a list in chapter 1. And he, he was saying that if you escape the corruption of the world because of sinful desire, which make, you make every effort to pursue this, faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. This list is drastically different from what we see in the life of a false teacher, right? Denying Jesus, sensuality, blasphemy, greed, exploiting others, false words. Do you see the contrast? The lives should be, like, amazingly different with so many books and so many podcasts and, and so much access to so much teaching and preaching nowadays, how do we know if teaching is sound? How do we know someone's teaching the truth? How do we know we're not listening to falsehood? Is there like a test that we could like give or a filter that we could put everybody's teachings through or the books that we read through? Because the reality is we need to understand the voices that we're allowing inside of our minds. In other words, how do we test to see if someone is a false teacher? The same way that a bank teller is trained to spot fake money. Bank tellers do not study false money. They study the truth. Right? They, they, they have to look at what is the real thing, because if I know what the real thing is, I can spot a fake. If I know what the truth is, I can spot a lie. So we have to study truth in order to spot the lies. Pastor Raymond Perrin says this, those of this world will not endure sound teaching. They will not want to hear it when you preach it. They will tell you it is outdated, it's unappealing. In the world of business, when you have a product that no one wants, you are told to change it and adapt it to the tastes of the consumer. But that is not the rule of the kingdom. Right? And we've all seen this. Perfect example is toilet paper. You, have you seen toilet paper repackaged and it says new? You're like, there's nothing new about that. You made it a little thicker, maybe a little softer, but it's still toilet paper. It's not new. But they repackaged the same product. And they were trying to sell it to consumers. This should never be repackaged. This is not going to say new. Here's a new one. Here's a new. No, no, we don't do that. We do not treat the Bible like that. That's not how it works in the kingdom of God. Truth is not a product that can be adapted according to our own desires or according to our own fantasies. 
The Word of God is not a product developed through research. It's God's revelation. Messengers don't edit and adapt a revelation. They proclaim it. So in my study, I ran across 12 non-negotiables to which Scripture and history of the church bear witness. And so unless you're a really fast writer, I would suggest don't write these down, um, but just listen. These are 12. Number one, the inerrancy and infallibility, infallibility of Holy Scripture. Number two, the full and eternal deity of Christ. Number three, the miraculous virgin birth and sinless life of Jesus the Messiah. Number four, the historical creation of man and woman made in God's image. Do you see how our culture is attacking these already, right? The, the, no, there's, there's more than two genders. No, it says actually that God made man and woman in his own image. What about the sanctity of life from conception to natural death? You think that one's being attacked? Yeah. How about the sacredness of marriage between a man and a woman? Or the sinfulness of all human persons? Or the substitutionary death of Christ for sinners? The bodily resurrection of Christ from the grave? Salvation by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone? The exclusivity of the gospel of Jesus Christ for sinners? The return of Christ and the assignment of all people either to eternal blessedness in heaven or eternal condemnation in hell. That is a heavy list. And if you reverse or change any of these things, then you have a heresy. A destructive heresy. Since the beginning of Christianity, each of these have been, they've been attacked. They've been twisted. They've been contorted. Each of these have, and some of them have been completely dismissed or ignored. The reason for this list of what to believe is because wrong doctrine leads to wrong choices. Wrong doctrine leads to wrong choices. Right belief should lead to right behavior. What we believe matters, y'all. What you believe matters. What you read matters. What you listen to matters. That's why sound doctrine is so important because it affects all of our lives. It affects how we live our lives. So I want to give you something super practical to take away. So if you, if you are taking notes, write these five questions down. Tim Chalice is a much smarter pastor and man than I am, and he gives us a great test for how to tell if something is of sound doctrine. Number one, sound doctrine originates with God. False doctrine originates with someone or something created by God. So the question we should ask is, does this doctrine originate with God or has it been fabricated by someone or something else? Number two, sound doctrine grounds its authority within the Bible. False doctrine grounds its authority outside of the Bible, in the minds of men. The question we should ask is, does this doctrine appeal to the Bible for its authority or does it appeal to another scripture or another mind? Number three, sound doctrine is consistent with the whole of scripture. False doctrine is inconsistent with some parts of Scripture. So the question to ask is, is this doctrine established or refuted by the entirety of Scripture? Number four, sound doctrine is beneficial for spiritual health. False doctrine leads to spiritual weakness. Good question to ask. Does this doctrine strengthen my relationship with Jesus? And number five, sound doctrine has value for godly living. False doctrine leads to ungodly living. Does this doctrine lead to godliness or to immorality? So when you hear someone or read something, you can ask, based on the evidence of what I'm hearing and what I'm reading, is this sound doctrine or is this false? If it's sound, 
we have a responsibility to hold on to it. And if it's false, we have a responsibility to reject it and to expose it. Roanoke, we must heed the warnings from the apostle Peter. We need to be alert and aware that false teachers are out there. They were there then, they were in the Old Testament, they were in the New Testament, and they're here today. You know, I was personally humbled while working through this passage because I thought to myself, I do not want to be a false teacher. I know myself I know my flesh. I know how easily I am drawn away from the Lord, how easily I'm drawn away from his word. And that's why it's so important for us to surround ourselves with biblical community. That's why it's so important for us to have church leadership accountability. There's not just one person who is leading and teaching, that we have um, multiple elders in this church. And that's why here at Red Oak, we labor over God's word. We, we pray over it. We study it. We focus on it. The word of the Lord that he has given us is final, and it is full, and it, has, it should have all authority in our lives. We don't adapt to the times. We don't change his word. We don't add to it. We don't take away from it. Like we have a plurality of elders here to keep close watch so that, our, the, so that falsehood doesn't creep in into the teaching in the church. But we are not perfect. So test everything. Test everything that I say. Test everything that everybody else says. Right? Like, use the word of God as your filter. Not everyone who claims to speak God's word is a true follower of Jesus. So test what you hear. Test what you read with the reliability of God's word. There are some in the church and some who've left the church who at one time seemed to be loyal followers of Jesus, but now they've denied the Lord who spilled his blood for them. And just like the FBI eventually caught Frank Abagnale Jr. as a fraud, so too will false teachers be found out by God. There have been plenty of examples in recent months and years of those who've been exposed. Your sins will find you out. You cannot run from consequences forever. So may we be aware of this sober reality as we close. Let me read one final quote from Schreiner. In every church, there are members who appear to be believers and who should be accepted as believers according to the judgment of charity. As time elapses and difficulties arise, it becomes apparent that there are wolves in the flock, that some who confess Jesus as Lord reveal by their disobedience that he never knew them that they are like the seed sown on rocky or thorny ground that initially bears fruit but dries up and dies when hard times come. When Zach did the intro to Second Peter, one of the major themes that he pointed out was steadfastness. Why? Because Peter knew that there were false teachers. There were false teachers amongst us. There's false teachers in the culture. Let us be alert. Let's be steadfast. Let's cling to the truth of God's word. Let's test everything that we hear, everything that we read with sound doctrine. And let's not only test what we hear and read, but let's test our own lives. Because false doctrine, false teaching, we can be, have falsehood hiding inside of us, hiding inside of the crevices of our own hearts. So let's not become proud thinking that we would, we would never be like that person. I, I could never say that or I could never fall into that or I'd never do what they did because the reality is that we too can fall in to illicit sex and money and power schemes. 
Peter's warning the church of false teachers, and it's a sober reminder of the consequences of sin, which are destructive now and for eternity. Let's pray. Father God, this is a a heavy word because it's extremely serious. And we as your people need to, to hear it and we need to cling to your word. We need to study your word. We need to hide your word in our hearts so that we know the truth. And when we know the truth, we can spot the lies. Pray that we would live sober-minded, live in, in the reality that you are coming back, live in the reality that every person that we interact with will spend eternity in heaven or in hell. May that affect how we live our lives, what we listen to, what we read, our conversations that we have with others. Lord, I pray that we would be a people of your word, that as we are going about our everyday lives, that your word would be on the forefront of our minds and on our tongues, that we would never forget that we reap what we sow, that your word is true, and that it will come to pass. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.